Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Well, hello there, boys. Good afternoon, Coach Roberts. Hello there. So, if you're hearing an unusual voice, we were about to start our podcast recording, and one of our favorite athletes just happened to pay us a visit. We have our son, Jacob Roberts, here with us, and he is currently training for the Wendell Foster Half Marathon. So, we twisted his arm and put him on the spot to have him give us just a little bit of history of his recent running. I know we've talked about it before that you began running in elementary school and ran through middle school and a little bit in high school, but then you went off to the Gatton Academy to a boarding school slash college and anyway, started college early. So the cross country running career kind of ended and I just wanted you to talk a little bit about, I guess it's been a couple of years now that you jumped back into running and how you did that. And we really liked the way you started off. Yes, and to be clear, in middle school and elementary school and high school, I was on the cross-country team and the track team, but I never took it very seriously. I always did just for fun, and uh, I have the same mentality right now, I would say. But I guess my mentality when I got started, I started probably at the end of 2019, and mom gave me some workouts to do through Training Peaks that went straight to my watch, and I didn't do a very good job of keeping my easy runs easy, and I ended up with some knee pain. And then I got really frustrated, took took a few months off, and I wanted to train for the Wendell Foster Half Marathon in 2020, and sort of the same thing happened. I was only running three days a week, I wasn't doing any of my easy day runs, and I was just going hard every time I ran. And around that time, my daughter was born, Ellie. I hear she is mentioned quite regularly on the podcast. We always say, oh, sweet Ellie Ann. Yeah, sweet Ellie Ann, so... Uh, between the poor training that I was doing with no easy runs and all workouts and lack of sleep, the knee pain returned. And then in April of 2020, I decided I'm going to do nothing but easy runs, build up my mileage. And I did that from April until December of 2020, where I did just easy runs, no pickups. Just And I'll have to say I love that because he was my training partner at the time because when he meant easy, he really was taking it easy. And so his easy days and my easy days at that time, as he was building his fitness, were the same. Now, your easy days tend to be a little bit quicker than my easy days, but I thoroughly enjoyed that mother-son time. So now your easy days are my easy pace, which worked out great for me. And it worked out great for me both times. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of 2020 well backing up a bit so the Wendell Foster half did not happen in 2020 correct but you wanted to test your fitness tell us about that so I ended up around March 13th I think the Wendell Foster was scheduled for March 14th 2020 so March 13th I'm a teacher and that was the day that was the first day school was shut down and the half marathon was the next day and I was experiencing the knee pain so I didn't do anything to test my fitness then but in January of 
2021, I decided I wanted to do a 5K time trial. And one of dad's buddies, Nate Pagan, helped me pace it. And I set a lifetime PR of 1947. Awesome race. It was cold. Yeah. You were out there in shorts, but you were you were burning up the track and Nate was really bragging on you. So it's always fun to hit that sub 20 5K for the first time. But I'd say it was pretty impressive considering when you started with your easy paces, they were well over 10 minute miles and really just focused, didn't even focus on pace, just focused on keeping the heart rate down. But once you did those easy paces for a while, then you started adding some speed work in. So it's not like you went from all easy pace to a sub 20. So you want to talk any about the transition there? Yeah, so as my weekly volume started to increase over those seven or eight months where I was trying to build that mileage up, I decided on one day per week I would do one mile hard. And during my longer run on Saturdays, I would do two miles at a harder pace just to get some leg speed going. Yeah, and uh, we coach athletes who all have different personalities. Some just, they don't even want to know the what or why. They just want to read their workout and look at it and do it. But Jacob, he's an athlete that we want to have a lot of dialogue with and go back and forth with because he does a lot of research on his own. He really adds value to us because he keeps us on our toes and has us thinking about a variety of philosophies and ways to look at running and how to improve. So I'd say, although we do coach him, he does a lot of his own thought in it. And then I think we're more of a sounding board for him and coming up with something that he feels great about and we feel great about as well. And when I am looking for a shoe recommendation, I go to Jacob because he's done a lot of research on shoes. Yeah, they say I've done a lot of research, but really I just watch this one guy on YouTube and I trust his opinion on shoes. Yeah, I think he's a household name at your house. It's like there's Jacob, Shelby, Eliane, and Seth. That's right. (laughs) Shelby makes fun of me. She says, my best friend Seth, but I'll have you guys all know it. Seth gave me kudos on our run that we did down at Project Rise this week. Oh, Pretty cool. So kudos on Strava. Butter my bread. That's right. <laughs> and what does he call his wife, Seth? True love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Isn't that sweet? It is. Speaking of true love, what was yesterday for you? Yesterday was me and Shelby's five-year anniversary for being married. I can't believe I have a kid who's been married five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gone by fast. It, yep. it has gone by fast. So anyway, even though Jacob now puts in a lot of hard miles, he's still really good about keeping his easy miles easy. And as a result, on his hard days and his workout days, he's really able to put forth some effort and gain fitness. And that's hard for a lot of athletes to do. We onboarded a new athlete recently, and it seems like no matter what, always going full throttle. So it's going to take a little bit of a learning curve for us to help him realize that there's got to be some varied efforts and speeds if you don't want to just continue to be the same athlete that you currently are. Yep. Mom likes to say this, keep the easy days easy and the hard days hard. And she says there for a long time, I was doing a really good job of keeping my easy days easy. And I needed to work harder on making my hard days hard. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping your easy days easy doesn't make the hard days feel easy. It just makes you be able to go faster and harder on the hard days. Yeah. So we definitely enjoy coaching you, Jacob. I want to talk to you about your Carmel Half Marathon. 
I know you and I, Paula, have talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but won't you walk us through it? Okay. I felt like the morning of, well, let's start with the night before. I was at work on Friday, and it was the last Friday before spring break, and me and Shelby drove up to Carmel after school, and we must not have thought about this much in advance because we didn't get there till after nine o'clock at night. And my dinner, it wasn't probably the dinner I should have eaten before a big race. It was no, just- wait a minute. I had put a beautiful banana in your room. Yeah, the banana was for the next morning, and uh, we're going to get to the banana. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I ate my dinner and probably had a little bit of the yogurt that I got. I think the whole family's hooked on the yogurt now. We got a good night's sleep, but then when I woke up, had a hard time stomaching the breakfast because I was a little nervous. And this banana that I asked my mom <laughs> to give me, it was very bruised, and I didn't even attempt to eat it because of uh, it was not appetizing. So all I had was probably about half a bagel. I will say the banana had traveled from Owensboro, so in hindsight, we probably should have bought the banana once we arrived in Carmel. At, at the Walmart that was right across the street from the hotel. <laughs> I don't think you should judge a banana by its cover. I opened it up. <laughs> and uh, I will say that mom told me that she kept the banana that looked worse, so I'm thankful for that. And I feel a little guilty that I didn't eat it. <laughs> so being nervous before Carmel, that's not something unusual for you. Yes, I uh, I get nerves pretty easily, I think, you know. Yeah, so let's talk about middle school for a minute. Were you in sixth grade? Yeah, that was sixth grade. So he won't admit it, but he's basically a math genius. He did a lot of math competitions, written competitions, quick recall competitions in middle school. And I have to brag on him, he usually won. But he got up one Saturday morning and he goes in the bathroom and he's hugging the porcelain and just not feeling well and he's like i'm sick i'm not going i'm like oh you're going (laughs) yeah and in sixth grade this was the only competition for the year yeah like it was a one day that was the only competition it was the sixth grade showcase yeah and he showed up and he did awesome and did awesome in carmel yeah yeah back to carmel after breakfast where we were yeah back to carmel so it was a cold morning and uh we Seems like we got an early start. Maybe me and Shelby headed over there a little earlier than you guys. Parking. We were stressed about finding a good parking space. Really, we didn't know where the start line was because the the way it is is there's like a green belt type pathway, and the, well, the green belt goes under the starting line, and it was just very confusing. And I didn't feel like I left myself enough time to warm up properly. And I was changing in the lobby of a hotel restaurant, and I got yelled at. <laughs> And so it was just, uh, it was a bit of a rough morning. Didn't get my breakfast down, didn't get my warm up in, got yelled at. But, uh, but I, made my, I did make my way to the starting line. And as I was walking through the corral, I noticed that I was walking past people that had D corral on their bib. And I was supposed to be in the A corral. And I was starting behind them. And in hindsight, I probably should have known just to stay closer to the front. Um, but you're a rule follower. You were just trying to yeah. be where you were supposed to be. Yeah. So I was being a rule follower. I found the pace group that I wanted to be with and, uh, you know, chatted with the guys. It was cold and uh, we were all standing close proximity with our masks on. And uh, when the race started, the my pacer was going definitely not the pace that I felt like I needed to be going to meet my goal of 140. And so probably about half mile in, I ran off and left the pacer. And my first mile split was still, I think, 8.07. And the average pace I was shooting for was 7.36. So even though I ran ran off and left the pacer, 
I was still 20 seconds slow. And then my next split, I was feeling good. You know, I was only one mile in and I felt like I was pretty fit that day. And I think my next mile was around 7.25 and was still feeling good. Half always feels good at mile two. <laughs> yeah, half always. I imagine it does always feel good at mile two. <laughs> and then I felt like I settled into a pace and I was, you know, right around 7.35, 7.40. And then just probably around mile 10 or so, I just didn't feel like I could keep going that pace any longer. I didn't feel out of breath. I didn't feel in pain. I just felt tired. Like I couldn't keep doing it. So what was your nutrition while you were running? I know your breakfast wasn't ideal. Well, uh, I grabbed a cup of water at one of the aid stations, and that's about all I did for nutrition. Half an hour 40. You can get away with that, except for you didn't have a good breakfast. So right. you, didn't, you were kind mm -hmm. of fueling from zero there. And yeah. your supper the night before wasn't ideal. At this point, were you faded? Were you still ahead of the pace group? Let's see. The pace group passed me up at a certain point. So the pace group caught me probably around mile 11. Mile 11. And then it didn't take long for the pace group to be out of sight, which was demoralizing. That is a deflating feeling for sure. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, Dad was out there spectating me, and he probably remembers seeing the pace group just barely behind me, because I remember not, not long after I saw him, they caught up to me. And I talked to him. I said, oh, I'm glad to see you guys. You know, I'm starting to feel tired. And then I ran with them for probably half a mile, and then, yeah, they ran off and left me. Isn't it amazing how quickly the pace group disappears when you can no longer hang on to the pace group? <laughs> yeah. And it's not like I was going. Like, I think my slowest mile splits were 8.15, so 30 seconds per mile off of what I was, 30, 40 seconds off of what I was shooting for. So I was still 8.15. I was still moving along, just not as fast as I wanted to. I think Dad was jumping back to your dinner. Yeah. Yeah, you had said that your dinner the night before, driving up... After work, getting there around 9 o'clock, it just wasn't ideal. And then your breakfast wasn't ideal either. So, yeah, you didn't have a lot of quality fuel in the system. That could have been a contributing factor for running out of energy, but feeling good, just not being able to move your legs. Yeah. My meal was, I remember it because I eat it very regularly for lunch at school. It was uh, some of the bonza noodles with the lean, 96, 4% lean beef, Laura's lean beef, and a little bit of cheese sprinkled on there. So that was probably less than 500 calories. And then I probably had 150 calories of the yogurt for dinner. And so that's a, it's a heavy protein meal. Is there very many carbs in that? Yeah, so the chickpeas also, the chickpea noodles are heavy protein as well. So not very many carbs. There's some carbs in the cheese. And I'm sure there's carbs in the bands as well. Probably not as much carbs as I should have had. Yeah, but so overall your goal was a 140 and then your finished time according to your watch was? 141.59. Right. I would, although probably not officially your first half marathon, I would say this is the first half marathon you actually trained for to compete. I think in college you did the St. Jude as a fundraiser with your buddies. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you trained twice for that, maybe. Yeah, I went on a, I went on a few of the group runs, but they did it. I mean, they were doing it pretty early in the morning, like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. And oh, yeah. What time do you run now, Jacob? Yeah, Dad drags me out of bed around 5 in the morning so I can meet him at 5.20 <laughs> so we can do our runs together. We run that early because of Ann. We run that, yeah. It's because of Ann and Shelby likes to have company in the mornings as well, so... So you were talking earlier about getting caught by the pace group, and that reminds me of a, another one of our athletes who we've been encouraging to 
not start so fast and then enjoy passing people along the way. And she's a younger athlete doing cross country. And in one of her races, she passed 26 people. So she's enjoying counting uh, as the race progresses. And then the next week she passed 30 people. So it's just fun to watch her progress and, and learn pacing. And yeah, it's a lot more fun to pass than to be passed. So in hindsight, which is always 2020, what do you think would have happened if you had just stayed with the pace group from the beginning? I think that the result would have been the same. I think that if I just stuck with them, I, I think they would have dropped me probably around the same place. And for all I know, it was a, I was with the marathon pace group. So I was with the 320 marathon pace group. And for all I know, they could have been aiming for a big negative split, like going out in the 141 and coming back in a 139. So with going out slow, that seemed more likely. They had 25 miles to make up that difference right. in the pace, and I only had 12. So I wanted to make sure that I was running my race. I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's, it's worth honorable mention. That day, Shelby and Dad, Coach, were the Sherpas. <laughs> I'm not sure where Dad ended up because I look over and poor Shelby, she has your stuff, she has my stuff, she has Bethany's stuff. <laughs> Well, Shelby and I had an agreement before the race that she was going to take the stuff and I was going to go take the pictures. I think maybe she underestimated the stuff. (laughs) And I think it boils down to if everybody had had the same amount of stuff that I did, it would have been fine. But Bethany, I'm pretty sure she had her kettlebell and her foam roller and three pairs of shoes (laughs) in her backyard. I think mom had two backpacks. No. Shelby, there were four athletes and Shelby had five bags. (laughs) Someone certainly had two bags and I'm pretty sure it was Coach Paula. Well, Kelly was there too. We were helping. That's true, Kelly. Kelly I I counted Kelly in four, right? Yeah. Anyway, thank you again, Shelby. Yes. And Bethany. Hopefully in the Wendell Foster Half Marathon, there will be less stuff to carry for Shelby. Yeah, and for our listeners, don't worry. Bethany's used to Jacob being a little rough on her. (laughs) He likes to pick at her. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hopefully at the Wendell Foster Half, we can just keep our stuff in our vehicle. Yes. Because it'll be close. Yeah. A smaller race. And hopefully it'll be much easier to find the starting line. Yeah, since we did We already know where it is. We did it in 2019, so we know what we're doing. And there's no tunnels. So do you want to go out on a limb and tell everyone what your goal is for the window fast? Yeah, and I've mentioned this to a few people already. What's the sense in setting a goal that's not hard to achieve, right? So my goal is going to be to set a seven-minute PR and go under 135, which is about a 714 per mile pace. So... Hopefully, that's what I can achieve, and if not, I'm certain I'll still set a big PR under the 142. And Yeah, other than the week when Ellie went into the hospital, your training has been super consistent, and mm-hmm. we just have enjoyed watching you grow as an athlete. Yeah, and it's been fun getting out there in the mornings, uh, especially the last few weeks, been running with Dad. There was a time in between where I wasn't running with anybody, I was training all alone, and then it can get boring running alone all the time so mm-hmm. it's been good meeting with dad in the mornings yeah. and you've been meeting a different group of people on saturdays which it's nice to meet other people make new friends yeah uh, share your stories with somebody new yep i've been going to the the wendell foster half marathon has group training runs every week so i've been meeting up with some guys there 
good. It seems like looking at your data that you run a little bit faster with this other group of guys than you do with me. Yeah, I guess, uh, well, mom always says I am your son. So, <laughs> it's true. Which is true. Uh, but I think when she's saying that, she means that when I get in the group setting, I just go with the group. And But I was even thinking about it today. I'm not having to huff or puff or anything. I am going probably 45 seconds faster per mile than what I would do if I was on my own. But I'm still able to carry on a conversation. And uh, it's good fun running with those guys. Yeah, and I already told on you on the on a previous podcast that on our way over to the Legends Run one day, you go, Mom, you don't need to know the route. I'm going to be running right with you. And I never saw him. <laughs> well, my plan was to run with you that day, but uh, the guy that I had ran with a week or two prior to that, he just started talking to me, and I would have felt bad to not run with him, you know, since he was talking with me. It was all good. Yeah. Mom had a group of five or six people that she was with, so I, did. I didn't feel too guilty. No. And when I finished, I turned around and went and found her. So he ran extra just to bring me Bonus. In. That's right. Well, let's change gears for a moment. The Ironman 70.3 World Championship was last week in St. George, Utah, and we got to watch that streaming live on Facebook. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I was glad you shared that on the Facebook page because as soon as I, I mean, I opened Facebook and I saw that notification and I watched it until the race was over. Yeah. So I started watching about an hour in and it was an exciting race. It was on the men's side and on the women's side. On the women's side, uh, Lucy Charles Barclay dominated, but it was really interesting watching, you know, second and third, especially on the run. Jeannie Metzler had a great run and ended up passing Taylor Nib to take second place, but it was pretty exciting. And then on the guy's side, Gustav Eden rode away on the bike and held it on the run, but Sam Long had a pretty good run. Yeah, and Sam Long, he's definitely an entertaining guy to watch. I watched a lot of his videos on YouTube, and I think he's uh, I think he's good for the sport. Makes it entertaining. I was surprised to find out later that he and Gustav Eden are the same age, you know, about 25, because Sam Long's personality, he just seems like a teenager instead of somebody yeah. that's a little bit older. But a couple of interesting tidbits about that race that interesting to me was uh, watching highlights of the race. Sam Long had a wardrobe malfunction in T1. It looked like he, his zipper broke on his suit. I, I don't know how he repaired that, but then also in the news I saw where Tim Reed pulled his swim skin down to his waist and forgot to take it off and rode the bike with the swim skin on and that can happen to anybody. I've I've done that one and a half times. In my first Ironman, I was leaving T1 and realized I still had that around my waist, so I stopped before I got out of T1 and threw it to a nephew who I saw in the crowd. It can happen to anybody, even the pros. Yep. Not very aerodynamic. Do you have any thoughts on the Ironman event? Probably nothing to add that we didn't talk about on the last podcast, but I really enjoyed watching it. So it was in St. George, Utah, and the Ironman North American Championship 70.3 was in St. George, and then the World Championship 70.3 was in St. George, and just in the news this week is that the Ironman World Championship is not going to be in Kona in February of 2022. It's going to be in St. George, Utah. You know, there's been a lot of debate about whether or not the Ironman World Championship 
should rotate venues because some people say Kona plays to the strengths of just certain athletes. And to really determine a world champion year over year, you ought to rotate that location. So I'm wondering if this will open the door for that to happen. I get the impression that St. George, Utah is going to play to the same strengths as the people who are successful in Kona because it's got hills and it's got heat. Yeah, I agree, but I just also wonder if it will open the door for it to rotate venues. One day have a world championship on a fast and flat course. Yeah. I don't think they'll ever do the world championships at a venue like Chattanooga where it's a downstream swim. I think they want it to be kind of a neutral course, more of a fair course. Because downstream really does take away a big advantage of your strongest swimmers. It's already hard for the strongest swimmers to gain too much advantage just because the swim is such a short amount of time in comparison to the bike and run. But it'll be interesting to see. I personally think logistically it's easier to have it in the same place every year. So I would think Ironman will probably try to just keep it in Kona. But we'll see. Yeah, and I think that even if the World Championship is not in Kona every year, they will have a race in Kona every year when it's not a pandemic because people want to experience that course. There's just so much history with that course. Do you think it's the course they want to experience or the World Championships? For example, when you were striving for that, was it Kona you wanted or the World Championship race? It was the World Championship, but it was pretty sweet that it was on the Big Island. Now, as a spouse and a Sherpa, it was Kona that I wanted. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You didn't get to make it on that trip, Jacob. I was on my honeymoon, so I guess that was five years ago. It was five years ago. We did invite Jacob and Shelby to make that their honeymoon, but, you know, Jacob was a little smarter than that. (laughs) I don't remember that invitation, but I'll take your word for it. It was there. Yeah. Yeah. Hawaii or Cancun. I mean, they're both really nice. I think I'd go back to Cancun again. I definitely would go back to that resort you guys went to. It's nice. Playa del Carmen, right? Mm -hmm. Just south of Cancun. So you mentioned Ironman Chattanooga. That is coming up tomorrow as of the time we're recording this podcast. So by the time you hear this podcast, Chattanooga will be over. Yesterday. Yesterday. Tomorrow is yesterday if you're listening to this This is confusing. (laughs) But we're uh, rooting for a few athletes in Chattanooga. And also, the Berlin Marathon is going on tomorrow, which, as of the podcast, will be yesterday. And we're really excited to have a few of our athletes participating in that. They're going to do great. Looking forward to tracking them and watching, uh, looking at their data and getting their feedback afterwards. And we're going to be watching the uh, Berlin Marathon on the Peacock channel streaming. Not when it's actually live because we're going to be sound asleep at that point, but we'll watch it delayed. We actually dropped $9.99 today so that we could watch Berlin, Boston, Chicago, and maybe be able to squeeze in New York, but I think it comes a few days too late. (laughs) I think we'll have to renew another month for New York. (laughs) That's okay. But we're both interested in watching New York because we're both running New York next year. Do we know what year we're going to run New York? Mm-hmm. Next year. It's next year. And when are we running Chicago? 23. All right. You got it all planned. Thanks for coordinating things. You know, somebody's got to take care of the details around here. Somebody's got to do it. But back to our athletes in Berlin, they all three were a little bit nervous about 
the logistics of the travel and the rules around the pandemic, but they are having the time of their life over there. It's been nice to get the pictures, and it just makes me that more excited about one day doing that race ourselves. That's one of the nice things about coaching is we get to be part of all of the events that the athletes are in, even if we're not on the starting line. It's pretty cool. Are you saying we live vicariously through our athletes? (laughs) Yes. All right, Jacob, you're going to have to sign up for some cool races. Yeah. Well, you did a Tough Mudder recently. Yeah, the Tough Mudder was a lot of fun. Tell me about the Tough Mudder. Here's the only thing I know about the Tough Mudder, which is why I won't do it, is that you can get shocked by these little electrical wires hanging down. But there's got to be more to that race. Yeah, so the Tough Mudder is a a 10-mile race, obstacle course, mud run combination. So uh, me and a couple of my coworkers from where I work at the school went up to just south of Indy, I think it was in Columbus, Indiana. And we, uh, yeah, signed up for the competitive wave so we could get in the first competitive wave, the first wave that goes off. So you get to do all the obstacles before everything's too muddy, but you start running. And one of my coworkers that's done it, this was his 11th Tough Mudder. He says that they have a, they, they tend to like to get you wet and then get you cold and then make you test your grip strength. They let you get Make you test your grip. I feel like hands. I have no grip strength when my hands are cold. Yeah. <laughs> so the first obstacle we did was called uh, Kiss of Mud, which is where we had to crawl on our bellies under barbed wire through the mud. So they get that over with early. This is not the electric. Oh, okay. Yeah. That so was... there's barbed wire too? Yeah, there was barbed wire, but the barbed wire is a lot easier to avoid than the uh, electrical shocks. Okay. So the obstacle you're referring to, there's two of them that we had to do. The electric eel, which is where you crawl on your belly in a pool of water, and there's live wires dangling down. And uh, I feel like that goes against a little tag on my blow dryer that says, don't use this in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah, it probably does a little bit. But fortunately for me, I'm uh, narrow enough that I was able to kind of inchworm crawl through that one, and I only got shocked one time on my shoulder blade. So that wasn't too bad. At the very end... They have a bunch of people spectating, and it's called electroshock therapy. And I hear that those wires shock you a lot stronger, but I took it nice and slow, and I avoided all of those. My coworkers kind of made fun of me for being a bit of a wimp and tried to avoid getting shocked because they just ran through it like madmen. But I would, uh, I wouldn't change my decision on uh, my tactics for that obstacle. So electric shock therapy, you're running vertically, you're not yeah. crawling. So you're running. There's like hay bales, and then there's mud pits. So you have to jump over the hay bales and then run through the... By the time I got there, it was just water. But, it, I mean, there was mud at the bottom of the water. And I just kind of low crawled. I mean, I, I got down pretty much on my hands and knees because you can kind of go under the wires on that one. So just out of curiosity, your papa growing up had a farm and he had an electric fence. Did you ever grab that fence just to see what it'd feel like? No. Why would I do that? <laughs> I don't know. But so I know we've seen some people grab that fence out there. I was thinking you never did that. All right. So I grew up with an electric fence, and I bumped into it a few times. It carried quite the punch. I'm guessing that these wires are not nearly as powerful as that. The cattle may not be disturbed by these electric wires. Uh, they might not like it too much, but I don't think it'd bother them. Yeah. So I want to go back to something you said. You said you're narrow enough 
to avoid the wires. Has that always been the case? Well, there was a time where I packed on a little weight. Well, growing up, I was always skinny. Skinny. And uh, when I left for Gatton Academy, I uh, was still skinny. Was still skinny. Um, but my acti- my activity level declined dramatically in college. So I was pretty active when I was at Gatton Academy. But after a couple of years at UK, University of Kentucky, I had put on some weight. And when I graduated, I think I had probably put on about 70 pounds total since leaving home over the six years. So <laughs> I love looking at your UK graduation picture and looking at you now. <laughs> it's yeah. like the same person. <laughs> yeah, so... I'm down... Not the same person on the outside. That's right. Yeah, so I'm down about 65 pounds from where I was, up about 5 pounds from where I was in high school. So Yeah, and can you talk a little bit about how you manage your weight and fuel for your sport? First of all, you started the weight loss before you jumped into the running, right? Right. I worked at Holiday World for six summers while I was teaching, and one summer when I was preparing for lifeguard training, we had switched certification programs and so I had to make sure I was able to meet the prerequisites for the swimming and I was at the health park and I weighed in at 210 and I didn't really think much else about it. By the end of that summer just naturally by working at Holiday World out in the heat in the, in the sun and I was down to 190 and this was a pretty common trend. I would lose weight in the summer working hard and then I would gain it all back in the winter months. And in the summer still eating all the wrong things. Yeah, still enjoying food uh, the way most people do. <laughs> at, at Holiday World, it seems like you were getting a huge number of steps per day. Yeah, so I think over the course of a day, it would be pretty uncommon to get less than 30,000 steps. And then some days I was getting close to 40,000 steps, which I think that's pushing close to 20 miles in distance traveled. So I was very active in the summer. But in that August, I decided that I didn't want to gain the weight back, and I didn't exactly know what I needed to do. So since mom lectured me about needing to lose weight quite regularly, I asked her what I should do, and she said it was about making lifestyle changes that you can stick with. So I changed what I was eating quite a bit, and I tried to be more active. And then from August of 2019 through February of 2020, I did a lot of research of what I wanted. Wait, I think I got my years wrong. I think this started in 2018. I think so, yes. Yeah, this started in 2018. So I uh, did a lot of research and yeah, from August 2018 till March of 2019 and found a lot of, I actually was looking at a lot of bodybuilder YouTube channels because they, you know, bodybuilders, they know how to diet and they make a lot of tasty food that's really low calorie and pretty healthy. And I found that a high protein diet really fit my, fit my lifestyle. And it was really motivating because the weight just came off really fast, you know. And uh, I wasn't always exercising during all that time frame, but I did, I was really consistent with eating low calorie, high protein foods that were fueling my body. So if I remember correctly, you were tracking in my fitness pal. Mm-hmm. And so you basically tried, if, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you basically tried to do two things. One was monitoring your calories where you would eat your base calories plus maybe half of your exercise calories. Mm-hmm. And then you would want to hit a certain percentage a day 
on your protein. It wasn't like you were cutting out carbs and fats. You were just making sure that within your calories for the day, you made a certain percentage protein. Right. She just said a lot of things there. So suppose I was trying to eat 2,000 calories a day. I would definitely eat that. And my goal weight was about 150. So I was making sure to eat 150 grams of protein each day because that's the amount of like lean mass I wanted to have. So, and that's what I saw from my research. And by research, I mean YouTube videos. (laughs) But those guys did their research and that's what they were saying. That's research. Yeah. And then from there, if I was getting exercise calories, say I did a, a run and it said I burned 600 calories, I would eat like a banana and a protein shake for like 300 calories to make up that difference because I didn't want to make sure I didn't want to lose the weight too fast and let my body break down. But I also didn't really trust how many calories my watch said I was burning because even today on my easy run where I was having a conversation, my watch said my heart rate was in the one eighties at one point. So it thought I burned a lot more calories than I really did. I only did half just to make sure I was not overeating, overfueling. Right. And I think that that's a mistake. A lot of athletes make they jump into sport and activity to try to lose weight but then they eat more calories and they're burning and then they think the exercise isn't helping yeah so i would say that it's a tricky process to lose weight because if you jump right into exercise and you're overweight you're going to be doing a lot of pounding on your body that it may not be able to handle but you're the path you took was, I mean, you were doing a lot of walking, which is low impact, Mm -hmm. great exercise, and you made nutrition changes. You got your weight down to something close to where you wanted to be, and then you started doing more high impact activities like running. Yeah. So you you lost the weight. You did a great job with that, and it's been a couple of years, more than two years, I would say, and you maintained it. I'm guessing you don't monitor it as like your food intake as closely like how do you maintain there's a couple things i do my breakfast and lunch that i eat every day is the exact same foods just because i found that they fill me up and they taste good and they're not packed with sugar and things like that they're not And you don't have to think about it every day you're right i don't have to think about it and but then for dinner um i don't think about it nearly as much as i used to you know i'm more willing to eat high calorie foods Especially now that I'm doing a lot of, you know, I'm running 50 miles a week. I need to refuel my body. Um, So I'm eating a lot more freely now. But for a long time, I kept track of the macros, the carbs, proteins, and fats, and calories of my foods. And uh, kept it in my fitness pal. Yeah. So although you don't track it as much, you probably, even when you're not tracking it, have formed habits that are much better than what caused you to put on the freshman 70 at UK. <laughs> right. And it wasn't the freshman 70. I know. It took four years. I, four I, like, years. I like to say that, though. Four years and a lot of pizza. There uh, was yeah. one about two and a half month span that I didn't see you when you were in college. And then when we did come up there, Dad and I got in the car and were like, Whoa! <laughs> I didn't know about that. You guys were being <laughs> judgmental, huh? Well, we obviously did not want you focused on your weight. We wanted you focused on your school. <laughs> yeah. We didn't want you, you know. We want you to be healthy. But yeah. 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 <laughs> Another kind of funny story that's related to running is after I graduated high school, I came home. And that summer, I was living at home. And there was a, 
a 5K race at Kentucky Wesleyan. And I think that right before it, there was a 10K that Dad ran. And then Dad ran. I told Dad I wanted to go. I wanted to go under 20 minutes. And I had done <laughs> zero training. And I uh, was delusional enough to think that I would be able to go under 20 minutes, just no problem, just pure grit. Well, I don't know. It was probably closer to 27 minutes or maybe even 30 minutes. <laughs> But at the finish line, there is a picture, and I'm smiling. So That's right. It was a successful, and Dad was right there beside me. So it was a successful day. I would say you have always been optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. You've been a fun athlete. I mean, even from t-ball and uh, rookie ball, you your coach even knew that you just loved the sport. And, of course, you you know that your dad and I thought you were the best player out there. But it really didn't matter because whether you were doing great or not doing great, you just had fun. And that's kind of what you're doing now and having great success. Yeah. So some of our athletes, they can check off every workout and do a great job with running, cycling, swimming. And they really struggle with nutrition. Others struggle with doing the workouts, but they nail their nutrition you seem to have found a good balance for both, but which do you find more challenging? I definitely still think I find the nutrition to be more challenging to stick to it on a regular basis. I I have to admit, sometimes, like last night for our anniversary, we had some 54 Pizza Express <laughs> with those stuffed breadsticks, and they were... Cheese dip. Cheese dip, and they were delicious. And I'm going to say pizza probably made up at least 55 pounds of that 70 pounds. It was probably all 70 of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My boy loves pizza. Yeah. And I think that I must have naturally a really great metabolism because the way I used to eat, I should have been 270 pounds overweight, not just 70. So you get that from your daddy. Uh, yeah, I could. I was probably eating 4,000 plus calories a day. In pizza. In pizza. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as I was re- researching nutrition... You know, it was exciting because I could watch a video or see an article and that's something I could run down to Kroger and try that very same night. And with running, I watch a lot of content, read a lot of articles, and it's it's a lot slower of a process because you see, you see a workout online and it might not fit with what you're doing right now. And if you try it, you might get injured or might not be exactly what you're needing that day. So I found researching nutrition to be more fun because I could see something and just try it out right away. Running has definitely been a long process of implementing things I've seen online and dad has put in a lot of work coming up with a good training plan for me. So I haven't had to think about it nearly as much the last uh, several months because he has a great plan for me. And I'm enjoying training with you. So we talked about the Wendell Foster half. What's after the Wendell Foster half? Do you have any thoughts beyond that? Yeah, I'm already... Well, <laughs> I put it on my Christmas list, and I'm pretty sure it's already been uh, purchased. Well, we typically share Christmas ideas on this podcast. Yeah. So, well, I'm interested in the the Ashland City Half Marathon, which is a little bit northwest of Nashville. Dad found the race, and I texted Mom saying I was interested, and I sent her a, a link to a VRBO that I was interested in staying in as well, and... After school that day, I, I looked at the elevation profile of the race because it was advertised as fast and flat, but it looked like it had about almost a thousand feet of gain during the race. <laughs> so uh, 
But uh, you just say you should have done that research yeah. before you sent me your Christmas. And then wish. Mom said I should have. It was too late to change my Christmas idea. So I think I'm signed up for the Action City <laughs> half marathon. And uh, but even if it is not as fast and flat as I might like, it'll still be a good race. And I think I can run it faster than I'm gonna run this November in Wendell Foster. So I'm gonna go for another PR. But can't set a goal for that yet because I need to see how I do in a few weeks. Yeah, and just looking at the course profile and mapping it out on running ahead, we'll be able to find you some hills around home that'll get you well prepared for what to expect. Yeah, mom likes having me run up and down Little Wood and Lexington over there. Yeah, those are kind of speed bumps. We may have to get you out in the county a little bit for this next race. Uh oh. <laughs> Speaking of running hills, you did a really hilly course a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, so I went out with one of Dad's buddies, and I'd say he's probably one of my buddies now, too. We've mentioned Jared on the podcast before. Yeah, we were running with Jared, and we did the the Chad Payne no-gain 10-mile loop, and uh, Dad suggested it, and well, when I showed up that Sunday morning at Legion Park, Jared said, I want to do the like the fitness classic 10-miler, and then I looked at him, I said, well, you know, my dad said we should do the, the Chad Payne no-gain sometime, and he said, well... Okay, we're, if that's what your daddy wants you to do. And he uh, he didn't look too excited. <laughs> it's a tough course. Yeah, it's it was pretty hilly. But Jared, he's a pretty funny guy. We got to about mile nine. I mean, we could practically see the park. <laughs> and he said, Jacob, I got to stop. I'm sorry. If you got to keep going, you just go on ahead. But I just got to stop. So we stopped for, I don't know, maybe 45 seconds. And then he said he was ready to go again. And I was thinking, you know, we could have ran 30 seconds slower per mile. And that have been just fine with me. He tends the to push time. the pace, doesn't he? He does. He likes to push the pace, and then uh, he says he doesn't, even though he was he got to top of some of those hills probably about 30 seconds before me. But he wasn't pushing any paces. He, he acts like he's not in good shape, but he's in pretty good shape. Yeah. Speaking of Jared, this podcast is going everywhere. <laughs> I had the opportunity, and, and Bethany as well, to ride with Jared in a combine this week as he was harvesting corn. I was quite impressed. There's a lot that goes in and I have a new appreciation for farming. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we just kind of wrap this thing up? So I guess one thing I want to add is before I was an athlete with, you know, RYR endurance team as a runner, I was a, just a, you know, a regular guy that needed help with weight loss. And I'd say my mom helped me out with that quite a lot with a lot of the advice she had. And because I always thought weight loss was you do a crash diet and, you know, when I was 26 years old, that's not something I had any interest in or had ever tried before. Lifestyle changes and I think the my mom did a great job of giving me advice and then I went out and found lifestyle, like, recipes that fit with what she was suggesting and between what she told me and what I found on my own, it, it all worked out together. Yeah, and again, his personality with nutrition was the same as he is now with running, as he likes to do a lot of his own research. And then it's just, I think, the back and forth. Like, you brought a lot to the table, and we just would kind of hash through and find things that would work for you. So It reminds me of, of what I've went through with my cholesterol. And for you and for me, you know, different situations, but 
we got to a point where we made a, a lifestyle decision. I'm going to get this cholesterol under control. You're going to get your weight under control. And once you reach that point, then you start doing the right things. You're committed to it. Yeah. And I will say that the foods that I was eating to lose weight, they weren't necessarily the healthiest foods in the world. Uh, they were high protein, low calorie, high volume, very filling foods that didn't have a lot of calories in it. And there's lots of recipes out there that I would think that losing 70 pounds, you know, eating foods, like that's a very healthy life choice. Even if you have to use some not necessarily organic, like you don't have to eat just vegetables. Like there's some low calorie foods that aren't necessarily the healthiest choices that you can make, but it can definitely help with weight loss and not carrying that extra weight is healthy in and of itself. Yeah. And it just, that's why it has to be customized per person because what you eat is probably 10 times more healthy than the average American, but it's different from what dad eats, who probably eats 10 times healthier than both you and I put together because he just really does well with the spinach and kale and avocado and sweet potatoes. And But you have to find something that not only supports what you need, but something that is somewhat agreeable with your palate so you'll stick with it. Yeah, we'll say Shelby doesn't like any of the foods I eat, hardly. Yeah. Well, that's the same with you and me, Coach Roberts, that we both try to eat healthy, but it's pretty rare that we eat the same thing. I know. I couldn't believe this week I cooked myself up a week's worth of chicken, and on day three I went to get some chicken. I finally cooked something that Dad will eat, too. (laughs) And then last Saturday... We cooked pancakes, and we shared those, though. That's true. And we don't eat pancakes very often, but after that long run, I just wanted a pancake. I think that's how you got me through that last segment. You said, you want me to cook pancakes when we're done? And what'd you say? Well, you didn't have to twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I asked you again today when we ran together for a little bit, and you said you weren't interested in pancakes today. Yeah, we'll get into that story on another podcast because we pretty much booked this one up, but we definitely can discuss some reasons why I didn't want pancakes today. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just got a text saying Ellie is awake, so I actually need to go home. Oh, give that sweet baby a hug for us. I can do that. Well, thank you, Jacob, for being part of the podcast today. Thanks for having me on. All right. Come back anytime. Thanks again, Jacob. Glad to do it. Let's wrap this up with a scripture. You got one in mind? All right. Just after the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, God says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. And somewhere else, the scripture says that the commandments are summed up with love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. I like it. And we want things to go well for our children forever. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.